Church, if you'll pray with me this morning. Father, we ask that you would help us now to behold wonderful things from your law. Central to that would be the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Would you show us these things and change us by them to your great praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. North Lake, if you'll go ahead and take your seats this morning. Fantastic singing. Our God is worthy. Amen. Amen. Music team, as always, thank you just for serving and blessing us. Our pastor is deservedly away with family for a family event in East Texas. But uh, rest assured, believe me when I say this, his heart and mind are exactly right here, even while he's away. A a pastor never truly steps away. So his heart and mind, as well as Rebecca, Avery, and Luke are here. We look forward to the return. We have a rich Sunday next Lord's Day. Encourage you, every Sunday you prioritize. We appreciate that. But we have a baptism service. We're going to have a unique and special focus even to on missions and gospel mission. Which is, an, is apropos for waters of baptism, gospel proclamation. So it'll be a sweet Sunday. We want to encourage you to come next Lord's Day. Obviously, you're here if you'll take God's word uh, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 127. Uh, this is obviously a break from the book of Hebrews. We'll look forward to getting back there. And uh, there's a myriad of places, obviously, of which to, to land. I wrestled through three or four. And and it struck me this past week, you know, next week, while we have baptism and a focus on missions, next Sunday is something else. Fathers, children, I don't know if you've made note, please do so now, the sense of urgency. It is Mother's Day next Sunday. Last Sunday, we had parent-child dedication. So it became fitting to say, let's park in Psalm 127 today. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I told Natalie this morning, this is exactly where I needed to be. This past week, Psalm 127. Uh, Parenting, there really is few rivals in the way of gratifying joy than raising a family and parenting. But make no mistake about it, you know this, it's also an absolutely terrifying endeavor. Our God loves the family. He designed it. He instituted it. His fingerprints are all over it. And from the very beginning, he structured and implemented the family for his glory, as well as our satisfying good. Unfortunately, being the sinful, distorted, short-sighted, and self-reliant people that we are, we have a real ongoing capacity to really botch it up, no? Our present society obviously has no problem of indicating this as well, does it? Everywhere you and I turn, man's destructive capacity can be seen in our world. And perhaps this is but one of the many reasons why parenting can be so terrifying. There are few responsibilities in life that sober us as intensely as this responsibility of rearing a child and raising a family. You look into the face of a spouse to the precious eyes of a child, and we tremble at the notion that I'm going to be held accountable for the stewardship of this person that my God has placed in my life. In fact, there are a few roles in life where we feel our sheer weight of inadequacy more clearly, keenly and clearly than in the rearing and raising of a family. Now, 
We're not helped by this in the world that we live in, are we? This sin-cursed context in which we live does not help us. There are a myriad of philosophies and man-made ideas offered to us in the way of marriage and parenting. And as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, which, mind you, is a tr- this very psalm is attributed to Solomon, he said, Behold, there's nothing new under the sun. Man's pathetic attempt to do things right in their own eyes is simply repackaged and sold every year. And in the end, what do those efforts produce? Solomon says they are empty. They are useless. They are impotent to lead us well, such that Paul felt compelled to warn the church in Colossae, see to it that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Colossians 2.8. So I would ask you this morning, what is a person to do? Still more, what is a church? A church that longs to support and partner with families to the glory of God. What's a church to do? Well, church family, we look to the book, do we not? And we not only look to it, but we cling to it. We open up the designer's words and we beg of him, God, unleash your life-shaping truth into our lives for your great honor. That is our heart this morning. If you will read with me now Psalm 127 with this leaned-in disposition. Gratitude in your hearts to this holy God we just finished worshiping. The heading is a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Church, let's pray one more time as we begin to unpack this. God, we... This whole psalm is going to lay out in front of us the need to be dependent upon you, a great and faithful God. We can begin to express that dependency upon you now by by asking for your assistance. If there is any instruction that is to be gleaned in our lives and internalized and absorbed in life-changing ways, Father, it will not be because the cleverness of someone speaking, it will be because you delight to open up your word and you delight to give us understanding and you delight to give us conviction where things are not where they ought to be. And Lord, you grant the sweetness of repentance, bringing about real life change for the honor of your name, for the enriching of the family and for the testimony of the church before a watching world. Father, would you do this in wonderfully astounding ways. And we pray it now in the matchless name of King Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the main idea over this entire psalm is very straightforward and simple. Apart from God, the believing parents labor in vain. The believing parent labors in vain. In work, in family, A godly home, a successful work cannot, let me repeat, cannot occur 
apart from the Lord's blessing. And so let's begin to unpack this, shall we? Uh, the psalm, always pay attention to headings, by the way. It says a song of ascents. Now the song of ascents are 15 psalms tucked into the Psalter, Psalm 120 to 134. And the psalm directly preceding this one is the famous one you well know, Psalm 119. Now friends, as 119 comes to a close, the psalmist is described like a lost sheep. Just note what it, he He documents here, Psalm 119, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Lord, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. He wants to live by faith, and he wants that faith to be a living faith that manifests itself in obedience to God. But the fallen world which surrounds him is is tumultuous. It's challenging, to say the least. And so as Psalm 120 begins, the psalmist is like a sheep among wolves. He is a pilgrim living in a hostile world of unbelievers. And friends, as you and I live in that said world, we often grow tired and weary of the lying and the hostility that this world interjects into our lives. And so one of the many, many things we long for is the fellowship of worship, what we're doing now. Thus, the Psalms of Ascent is a fitting description of the pilgrim's journey. You see, in fact, this is one of the many reasons why this particular part of the Psalter was seen as such tremendous value to the nation of Israel. Three times a year, Jews would journey to Jerusalem for worship, the feast of Passover, Pentecost, and booze, and they would sing these 15 Psalms. They would sing them on their ascent up to Jerusalem, thus the nickname. And with each recitation, the pilgrim would be reminded of the divine help that they desperately needed if they were going to have peace of mind in a fallen world. Trust in God was the only refreshment that would come to weary travelers. Dependency upon him was the only course that would lead to their well-being, both individually as a family, and as a broader nation. Now, Northlake, you and I are not Jews, and we are not traveling to Jerusalem three times a year, last time I checked, but we are still pilgrims, are we not? We are aliens passing through. This earth is not our home. Our citizenship is above. And so the rich value of these 15 Psalms is unmistakable to us as well. Specifically relevant to our psalm today is that most Israelites journeyed to Jerusalem as a family. It was a family time to come to worship. And and this psalm reminded pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem that all of life's blessings, especially in the home, are gifts from who? Gifts from God, gifts from Yahweh. And if they were ever to have a God-blessed home, they would need the instruction of this psalm. Instruction that would lead them into a dependency upon the Lord that they desperately needed if they ever had any hope of their home and their family bringing God glory. Which leads us to observe a few things ourselves about this particular psalm, especially when compared to the other 14. For starters, Psalm 127 is right in the middle of the 15 Psalms. Close to half of the songs of ascent contain what is a beatitude. How blessed is the man? Psalm 127 contains the very first one. 
How blessed, verse 5, is the man whose quiver is full of them. The first beatitude to these weary pilgrims. How blessed. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me, let me ask you, do you recall the, what is the very first word that begins the entire Psalter? It is this word. It's ashray. It's blessedness. It's well-being in every area of your life. And right there, everything henceforth, therein lies the overarching fundamental purpose of the entire Psalter. The Psalms were given to teach us how to live and to live so that we would experience more and more of the abundant life that God not only designed for us in creation, but also purposed for us in redemption. And so the Psalms weren't just Israel's hymn book. They were an instruction manual for the abundant life that God had purposed for them. Ashray, well-being. Jesus, our Lord, says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do I know that in manifested form? I walk according to his precepts. I look to the instruction manual. And so Solomon, led by the Spirit of God, says, listen, this psalm has everything to do with you experiencing ashray. All of us want a blessed life, no? And blessed not as the world defines it, but as our God, that holy God we sang to a moment ago, as he defines it. Interesting as well is that this is the only song of a sense that's attributed to Solomon. I want you to look at verse 2. Something striking here before we sink our teeth in the rest of what's on the plate. He says, he, this is God, gives to his what? Beloved. Now, pause there for a moment. It's attributed to the pen of Solomon. He gives to his beloved. If you recall in history, 2 Samuel 12, 25, Nathan was told to name Solomon what? Jedediah, beloved of Yah. Beloved of Yahweh. God's covenant care, his provision interposed here for you and I is astounding. Keep in mind, what is the context of being named Jedediah? Well, David's literally being rebuked by Nathan, the prophet. Why? Well, he's being rebuked for the adultery and murder that he committed against Uriah and Bathsheba. And one of the consequences of David's sin, one of many, mind you, was the death of his firstborn son. And so when the Lord grants David a second son, Nathan names Solomon Jedediah, beloved of Yahweh. Friends, this is a remarkable display of God's goodness and grace, is it not? David, your son is to be named Solomon. Such that every time you look at Solomon, you know you are loved. Every time you look at him, you would do well to remember this. You are beloved. Let's move our way further into verse 1 here. If the main idea is apart from God, the believing parent labors in vain. The first thing we note, the song of ascent written of Solomon. The meat of the passage is God is obviously the builder of the home. God is obviously the builder of the home. Verse 1 starts with 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. God must build and God must bless the house and city. And what a wonderful word picture for the home and family, is it not? It's going to be indicated and explained later on in in this particular psalm, but the principle here is undeniable. Any activity, any activity attempted without the Lord is launched in vain. And that is especially true in raising a family. Solomon is highlighting, you see, the uselessness of self-sufficiency, and he's being undeniably emphatic about it. The word vanity literally begins every clause here. It's empty, it's useless, meaningless, futile. Such is all home building and all family raising without God. God alone, this holy God we just sang of a moment ago, is the sole determiner of success. To which God's people say, what a relief. God is the determiner of success. Let me just take one pastoral pause and mention two things here as we rest under this great truth. Number one is that Christian families, we need to cling to this, be informed by it, be refreshed by it, but we also need to operate by it. You see, we have a lot of books, a lot of philosophies and ideas on raising a family and parenting feeding schedules, sleeping schedules, schooling options, philosophies of discipline, overanalyzed family diets, gluten, non-gluten, organic, etc., etc., the list abounds. But without the Lord, all of those efforts, some of them may be honorable and good in their own right. Without the Lord, what does Psalm 127.1 indicate to you? Without the Lord, it's all in vain. All is in vain. Without the Lord being at the center of your home. But I would also note, while we are to be a people who rest under this and depend on this holy God, this in no way diminishes or nullifies the fact that God has no doubt placed responsibilities on your shoulders. You see, what's promoted in this psalm is not couch potato, passive raising of a family. No, our God in his infinite wisdom has given responsibilities and principles to be applied in those responsibilities along the way. The Lord builds the house, but his people are still called to labor, right? The Lord guards the city. Nevertheless, his people are to still stay awake and watch. Your God wants you to place the hands to the tools. He wants you to sweat with exertion. He wants you to wield them. He wants you to labor with great vigor. He simply wants it to be God-dependent vigor and labor. The Apostle Paul got this, right? Not just over the family, but just in life in general. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Later in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. How? If it be in the Lord. Northlake, God 
is the builder of the home. Take a deep breath this morning, right? Secondly, you note, God is also the protector of your home. Verse 1 continues, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. God must be the protector of our families. Now, at the end of the day, we want our families shielded from the evil influences of this world, do we not? One of those reasons, among many, is that we know we have a real enemy who's nasty, who's relentless, who's tireless in his efforts. He is literally a thief and a liar. And this enemy's destructive handiwork has left an increasing wake of destruction, not only upon households and families, but upon all of society. And so by all means, we make decisions that we hope and trust are godly. We set up boundaries that we pray are biblical, use of time, our our involvement with entertainment. We are watchmen who stay awake. And yet, what determines if our diligent watching be in vain? Solomon says it's whether or not the Lord is involved. Whether or not we enlist the Lord to be the commander of the watchtower. The implications of this are abounding, right? I don't know about you, but you, as a family, as a household, you're always thinking of parameters and guidelines, guardrails. Those are great. Protocols and safety nets, right? Fantastic, wonderful, wise. Continue them, right? But you cannot watch your child at all times. And you definitely cannot see inside of their heart. And so if I'm going to plead for anyone to stand in the watchtower of my family, may it be him who does not sleep, right? Who sees all, including the heart of my child. Who sees evil miles and miles and miles and years away before I'm even cognizant of it. Being the limited, sinful parent that I am. By all means, stay awake, parents. Be watchful, be vigilant. But depend upon the Lord to guard the city. Solomon continues, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Leads us to our third observation this morning. God is not only the builder of the home, God is not only the protector of the home, but God is also the provider of the home. And when you keep this principle in mind, Your time and your energy have a way of being kept in proper balance. You see, all who live in houses with families uh, must labor in order to provide for their families. But what the psalm is advocating is that it is vain to strive hard to rise early and stay up late without God being at the center of your life. Now, this does not in any way de-emphasize hard work, right? Hard work is championed as a virtue throughout Scripture, Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. God loves hard work. By all means, work hard for the provision of your family. But here's what Solomon is saying here. He's warning, and it should be taken as that. He's warning against being a person who as we know it in our proverbial terms, 
burns the candle at both ends, right? You neglect one's family and you fail to trust God. You rise early, you stay out late to work. And what is the reward and the fruit to said person who does this very tragedy? He says he eats the bread of painful labor. The word there is literally anxious toil. It's an incredible suitcase and word picture that's bound up there. Picture just feverish activity, right? Literally wringing of your hands. You rise before sunrise to work. You come home late. You work long hours to put bread on the table. Now, working hard is not wrong. But done with imbalance and out of proportion and God not being at the epicenter of your home life. What does that bread produce for you? All that bread does is maintain you in your miserable existence. Solomon knew a thing about that. Just turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, right? You eat the bread of painful labor. But there's a contrast here. What of the man who does trust in God and does believe him to be the builder and protector and provider of the home? I love it here. He says, our God gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Now there's a play on vanity and sleep here. Both are three-letter words in Hebrew. And the only slight difference is one letter in between that look very similar to each other. And the idea here is this. Vain means empty. Okay? Carried forward with sleep, this is sweet sleep, sound sleep. I'm talking about there's nothing in your hands. Your mind is not preoccupied with anything. God grants sleep to those he loves. This type of sleep God gives to those he loves who depend upon him. They work hard, yet within certain boundaries, moderation, prioritization. And that individual lies down his head on the pillow at night and he sleeps well, last time I checked, all of us like to sleep well. And who does he grant this to? Those who believe God and depend upon him to provide. God, I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. Not at, the first, not at the neglect of my family. You know what happens when that person does that very, exhibits that very trust and dependency upon God? You know what begins to reign in your life is contentment, right? Not how many numbers are in the bank account, not how much security and what you can provide for, just sheer contentment. Proverbs 3 talks about how blessed is the man who finds wisdom. When he lies down, his sleep will be sweet. Sweet sleep is a wonderful thing to those who are faithful. God, I love you. I trust you. The task is daunting. Would you help? And you lay your head down on the pillow at night. And you rise up again and you say it all over again. Right? Let's continue. Verse 3. Solomon continues, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This leads us to our fourth observation. God is not only the builder, the protector, the provider, but he's also the rewarder of the home as well. Fathers and mothers must acknowledge that each child is a divine gift. Let me say that again. Each child 
is a divine gift, followed with a question, what should that do to you this morning? Friends, your children, the children of this church, are a highly valued prize. Listen, not a burden. They are not a burden. They are a gift. They are an expression, mind you, of God's goodness in your life, a demonstration of his love and his mercy. Let me pause, give a pastoral encouragement. Mothers in the room this morning, let me encourage you, take heart. Here's what I mean by this. Majority of the men in this room, if we have our sanity, know you have one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Your labor among your children, even more so than us, is incessant and unending and therefore often tiring and wearisome. And I know, not from experiential knowledge, but I know that in the midst of that, having talked with many of families, there is something common to all, is that over time, these precious gifts that come to you at the moment of birth are imparted and infused into your family. And at any given time, we don't always see them perhaps as gifts. Right? Maybe an inconvenience. Maybe they're keeping me from doing other things. If I hear this child cry one more time, if we have to school through one more tear and fit, if I see one more eye roll, mothers, take heart. This week, as you look into the eyes of your child, know and cling to this verse. They are a gift. The Lord will perhaps need to help one in that space. Good thing is he's gracious and kind to do just that, if we but ask. He continues in verse 4, Moreover, children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. I love this word picture. The father is pictured like a warrior in battle and his children are like arrows. And arrows, if you know, not that we fight with arrows today, but they're an indispensable part for a warrior, especially in Solomon's day, to succeed in defeating his enemy. And so in the same way, what Solomon's doing here, children are an invaluable Source to parents in doing what? In warring against the enemy of God's kingdom, Satan. They are invincible weapons that are intended to be shot out for the kingdom of God. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. He goes on, verse 5, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Full of what? Arrows. Children. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates. How blessed, well-being, here we come full circle in every area of life. When the enemy comes, and he will, and when he hurls insults at the father, when he opposes the cause of the righteous, the parent who has spent his or her days trusting God and relying upon him in the leading of his home and the rearing of his children will eventually receive the reward of his God-dependent living. And what will that reward be? be. It will be strong, stable, spiritual stalwarts. 
children who will later be able to rise publicly, stand alongside father and mother. Solomon says that individual is blessed. The children, a quiver full of arrows, will stand unashamedly for the same cause as his or her parents. They will literally undergird the spiritual work that his or her parents had devoted their lives to accomplishing. And what was that purpose? That all men would know and love God, their creator and savior. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And that's a very short psalm, and there's a lot there, but I think, let me give you just one pastoral encouragement. Friends, remember who's penning this psalm, led by God's Spirit. He was nowhere close to a perfect man, was he? In fact, much of Solomon's wisdom and the lessons of this psalm were mostly lost on him, which is a warning to us all, No? You see, as we strive to live God-dependent lives, we are exhorted to leave the results to the Lord and simply know that along the way, there are no guarantees. It, parenting and raising a family is not pull this lever and push this button and out comes a widget known as a God-fearing child and an honorable, stable family. That's not how it works. And one of the ironic backdrop lessons to this psalm is that despite the wisdom within, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, undid much of what Solomon produced. He reduced the glory of both the temple and the palace. He exceeded the idolatry allowed by Solomon. He literally ruptured Solomon's peaceful relationships with other nations. Just open up 1 Kings 14 sometime. The dynasty or house of David literally had become reckless and unstable under Rehoboam's reign. It declined in stability, unity, wealth, power, and influence all during Rehoboam's brief reign. Let me read for you Ecclesiastes 2, 18-23, again written by Solomon. It's not in the PowerPoint today. It says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. That's Rehoboam. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. There's a lesson here for you and I. Parents, leave the results to God. Be faithful. Stay awake, be watchful, labor, depend upon God along the way. Let me give a pastoral encouragement. Perhaps you're here this morning and like, my parenting years are far past me. And you are an empty nester, and maybe even an empty nester with wayward children. Let me encourage you this morning to, you too, take heart. Your God is more than capable to interject himself in the wayward life of your child. The same exhortation that rests on Psalm 127 continues to apply to you even in your own chapter and season of life. You relentlessly pray for your children, your grandchildren, you labor, you exhibit a gospel testimony to your family and the results belong to who? Unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors labors in vain. 
this same admonition to rely upon him rests on, yes, even you in this particular season. I think the beautiful part is that he is able. Amen? He's able. He's able to restore. He's able to save. He's able to bring back. That's evident even in your own life. He's able. Do you believe this? I would be remiss if we didn't just kind of walk away with, God, help us, five verses, Psalm 127. I I want this to take shape in my life. I, I want to live what I learn. So let me give you just three things to take away and mull over this week, okay? Children are like arrows, Solomon said. And so the following truths must be implemented early in child rearing. Number one is arrows must be shaped, okay? Arrows must be shaped. A God-dependent parent must be about the work of shaping. No arrow begins straight. No arrow is, begins its life ready for battle. The, the soldier who would shoot a straight arrow must spend time doing what? Whittling and shaping a branch into a well-fashioned arrow. And so it is in the raising of children too, right? Sons and daughters must be trained at an early age to pursue righteousness. Solomon wrote, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way it should go, he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Friends, this involves Biblical instruction, this involves moral correction, firm discipline, and fathers, I should say, it also includes loving affirmation. Train up a child in the way he should go. Parents, I would ask you this morning, are these a normal part of your home? Are these a normal part of your home? Are you about the work of shaping? Are you getting the lost lost in the frenzied schedule of maybe sporting events and work and bills and family dynamics with extended family. You are losing sight of what one of your major goals and purposes and objectives in life given to you by your God. Are you about the work of shaping? Rest assured, you will not provide these things perfectly. You will not shape perfectly for you are not Perfect. You will falter, you will miss opportunity, and yet, nevertheless, we are called to still strive along two tracks, right? Diligent labor and dependence upon God. Diligent labor and dependence upon God. And you know, along the way, here's the sobering part, that as I labor and as I depend, I will be held accountable for how I've stewarded this relationship in the brief time that I have with them. And parents, you know this, it is very, very brief. Unfortunately, there's a great deal of unfaithful stewardship occurring in families today. And and not only in society, not only society being affected, but the church is being impacted as well. What are some reasons of unfaithful stewardship? Number one, I would just say many parents simply wait till it's too late. If you're here today and and that is your fear, I want to encourage you to take courage. Again, I echo what I said earlier. Our God is able and his, his economy on earth, there's no such thing as too late. Okay. Take hope in God, depend upon him, set about the hard work of rearing to his glory, wherever you are on that time spectrum. 
We can bemoan and groan and lament time wasted and squandered. There's grace. Amen? There's grace. We're tasked to be faithful with the minutes, days, and weeks in front of us. I think secondly, many parents choose to be absent throughout the process. Again, burning the candle at both ends. And when the candle finishes burning, what is that parent, that child, what are they often left with? It's usually grief. It's usually sorrow. Instead of blessedness, instead of ashray, it's lament of time gone by not used well. I think a third reason for unfaithful stewardship is that many parents pass their God-given responsibility to other people. Listen, child-rearing is every parent's duty before God. This God-given ministry cannot be assigned to a school. It cannot be assigned to a teacher. And I need you to hear me when I say this. It's it cannot be assigned to Alejandro, okay, over student ministries. It cannot be handed over to a parent, to a pastor rather. No, that is a stewardship granted to you, the parent. All of those entities and individuals may come alongside you. They may support you. They may encourage you. But they never supplant you. They never replace you. You are the chief influence in your family. At the same time, I would just kind of encourage us corporately. The church is not entirely disconnected from this work of error shaping as well. Yes, it is the primary responsibility for parents to shape arrows, but God has designed parents to live in community, right? And that that community of believers would play a vibrant, supportive role in the lives of families. God has not just left parents with instructions for child rearing. He's also not left them alone to do the task. He's put them in the context of community and a local church. And so I would ask, what role should the church have in the lives of the families represented in North Lake Bible Church? Well, one facet of last week, parent-child dedication comes to mind. Parent-child dedication, we, at North Lake, we celebrate the gift of a child. We celebrate the commitment of a parent. But we also do something else as a church. We also embrace our responsibility to support families, right? Come alongside them, encourage them, bless them, teach God's word, serve one another in love, train up disciples of Jesus Christ, point them to a savior. This local church is instrumental in helping all do the task of raising and leading a family well to the glory of God. Let me just say this morning, if you are serving in children or students ministries, one simple phrase, thank you. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. Your efforts to come and prepare, I need you to know, the Lord needs you to know, that your efforts are not in vain. Thank you for your labor. Here at Northlake, we also commit to provide opportunities for spiritual growth for parents. Biblical preaching. Adult small groups. We have small groups this week. What a sweet time to discuss just the home, God's grace in the home, God's provision in the home, that God would be honored in the home and encourage and pray for one another to that end. 
The community we live in and enjoy, and we do enjoy it, known as North Lake Bible Church, should strengthen us for this task. And it does. Secondly, not only should arrows be shaped, but arrows must be directed. A God-dependent parent must be about the work of aiming. You see, a well-shaped arrow must also be carefully aimed at a target. There's the old adage, aim at nothing and you will hit it every time, right? This is unquestionably true in child-rearing. You see, part of the process of raising a family is standing beside your child... You look out into the world with them and you help them to discern and view the world around them through a biblical worldview. And then you square up their shoulders for what awaits them and you send them out. You arm them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you send them out. Friends, this involves teaching, instructing, but dare I say it also includes modeling such for them as well. Parents, do your children see you directed and positioned in this world as you should be? Shoulders square, armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, biblical worldview in front of you, seeing, discerning, and being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that does not love him. Do they see that? More times than not, our children will simply model what they see. You ever known sometimes a parent, you've seen it perhaps in your own life, you, a parent is leading this line of ducklings, right? And the parent inadvertently enters into the wrong store, takes the wrong pathway, the wrong stairway. Mom and dad literally have to turn around and literally every duck behind them has to do the same. Why? They don't know where they're going. They're just following mom and dad. It's the same thing with us. I, may they see shoulders squared, pointing in the right direction. Here is why I'm on this earth. It's to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I will leave everything here. We sang about it a moment ago. Be thou my vision. Riches I heed not, or man's empty praise. All of this is in vain. Arrows must be shaped, must be directed, and must be released would be the third one. A God-dependent parent must be about the work of releasing. The time will eventually come for a warrior in the day of battle to actually pull back the bow and release the arrow. Only then will they be successful only then will they be victorious. They cannot defeat the enemy as long as they are in the warrior's hands. An arrow was made to be released. Arrows must be shot from a bow. Here's the takeaway for you and I, parents. At some point, we have to release our grown children at an appointed time, right? You will not always be able to be the helicopter above their shoulders, you will not always be the watchful eye over their every need and concern. You will have to release. And what will you need to do in the releasing? Psalm 127. God, I depend upon you. I'll be honest with you. This world is discouraging. 
And it is growing in discouragement. It can bewilder the mind and heart. It can infuse in your life angst if you be not careful. If you take your eyes off of lest the Lord builds the house, he who labors labors in vain. If you take your eyes off of this and you simply look at a news headline. Yesterday, mass shooting out at Mall in Allen, Texas. And you think, what is this world coming to? I have to send my children out to this Again, I began, this is a terrifying endeavor. Your God is able. He's able. He's able to send your child out stable, sure-footed, clear thinking, and loving the Lord Jesus Christ all their days. He is able. Do you believe this? Church family, let's labor in the time that we have in front of us, knowing and clinging to this, can we? Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, we want to express our dependency upon you today. It's one thing to read it. It's one thing to really champion it and cling it to it, that you are the one who has to build the home and protect and provide and reward. Lord, you have to do these things. It's another thing to have that, to have the import of that truth take effect in our life. You know each manifold way that that needs to take place in each particular home and family. You know the ways in which we as a local church need to be encouraged and spurred one another on to that end. You know these things. And so Lord, in your infinite wisdom, we ask that you would strengthen the homes of this church. Whether one be a grandparent, whether one be a parent of a small child, whether one be a parent with a child at the precipice of leaving their home and venturing out into adulthood. Lord, you know these things and you are able. May the homes of North Lake Bible Church be enriched. May Christ be honored. May you receive all the glory along the way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.